it could be difficult sometimes. We live in a, in a crazy time where we understand Christmas. We understand what Christmas is all about, right? Most, most of us do. But we live in a world that has conflated and, and has put together, I mean, it, it, it's about Jesus, but, you know, there's also like Santa Claus, you know, and, and, there's, and there's Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, and, and all these things that are going on in our mind, and there's presents, and there's trees, and there's everything, and you're just thinking, okay, uh, I, I get Christmas, but sometimes it's easy for the world to get confused, even when you're trying. I love the little story of the story of the little girl who's in Sunday school class for her, probably very much what we're doing back there now. And she is, she, she is hearing the Christmas story. And she is into it, and she's trying to follow and try to understand everything that's going on. And then she gets to a point where she just looks really confused as the teacher is telling about the Christmas story and everything that's going on. So she, she raises her hand. She said, I, I have a question. She says, absolutely. Maybe her, her name was... Uh, Lucy or whatever. Lucy, tell me. Tell me, tell me, what, what, what's your question? He says, well, I'm confused. Which virgin was Jesus' mother? Which virgin was Jesus' mother? Of course, this perplexed the teacher because you know, he wants to have the answer, wants her to understand, but he says, oh, I, uh, which virgin? I, I'm not sure what you mean. He says, well, was it the Virgin Mary or the King James Virgin? Sometimes it's confusing. We try really hard. Come on. We want, we want it to understand, but then it's all confused and it's all together and the world's saying it's this and we're doing this and, and we want to love Jesus, but we got to get all the presents and we got to get them right. Come on. You know what I'm saying? You know, and, and everyone is, it's, so it's, it's all in there. We think, well, what is, what is it really, really about? How does this all work out? And I love... Uh, the, uh, the Charlie Brown special, the Christmas Charlie Brown special, where Lun Linus, excuse me, Linus figures it out. Here's Charlie Brown. He goes and gets this pathetic-looking old tree. Everyone's mocking him and making fun of him because he obviously doesn't understand what Christmas is about. It should look like our perfect trees and not this little... So they're making fun of him. And so Linus, and he, he yells out. Okay, you know the story, right? Watch it with your your children sometime in your life. But you know, what is Christmas all about? Well, somebody tell me. And Linus says, I got it. I got it. And Linus does a really good job. Linus quotes Luke chapter 2, basically, and tells the story of the shepherds and what the angel said to them and goes and finds Jesus in a manger. And that's a, that's a great story. It really is. But, but I think sometimes especially maybe even, even here in America in the 21st century, we have only the Linus version of Christmas. As good as it was, it's, I mean, it's Scripture, right out of Scripture. How many know it's not just about that? There's something more. Because you see that the kids hear that, and they get all convicted, and they go and they decorate a tree, and they make a great tree. <laughs> and if that's all you understand, then sometimes you're going to be focusing on making a great tree. Mm. having a great Christmas, having everyone be kind to each other, and miss really some, some deeper aspects. So this morning, we're going to do a little theology. Is that okay? For Christmas, you know, no one get freaked out on me. We're going to go a little bit deeper to understand what is Christmas really about. And so we're going to have to go all the way back. We're going to have to go even beyond what we understand is some of the nativity story and even start with what God spoke through the prophet 
Isaiah. Because he laid it out in the prophet. The prophet laid it out. So this is a long time ago. God's people had rebelled. God's people had turned away. God's, it was, they were going to go into captivity. It was a mess. And here is Isaiah with the word of God burning in his heart saying, let me tell you what's going to happen. And he lays out in the most profound way the story. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this is what he said. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There is more theology and more profoundness of understanding what Christmas is all about in that one verse than we can even imagine. But I'm going to attempt to just to introduce this by talking and stopping just a minute and saying, okay, what does this really mean? And so let me break it down. And it all starts with, for unto us. Do you understand that? The nativity story of Jesus coming was for you. Now we know that the Bible says that he came for the whole world, that the whole world, then that's true, he did. But he came for you. The story is about you. This story is for you. It's for your life and what God is doing in you. It is for us, for unto us. All, everything that's about to happen, everything I'm about to unfold in this verse is for you. Oh, we got to get that. It's not just a religion we go to. It's not just something we follow. It's not just something out there. This is me. This is for me. This is for your life. It's very personal. It's very direct. God is very personal. God is very direct. God loves the whole world and he has these arms wrapped around the whole world. But he starts with you. He starts by touching you. So for unto us, and then he unfolded, a child is born. Why is that important? God came as a human. God is human. A child is born. A child was born. Now, they go, why, why, why is that important? Because Jesus had to be human. And he had to be God. He was all God, all human. He wasn't half and half. He's not a hybrid, okay? Jesus came as all man, every bit man. This is so important because he had to carry the, the essence of a man, in, even without the sin, because he didn't have the seed of Adam, but he had because he became the second Adam, the second creation, so that he could die for you. You see, the cross doesn't work unless Jesus is human. He doesn't work unless he's born. And, you know, it's one of these songs, I forget what it is, it says, not a cry came from, uh, you know, the old hymns, uh, Christmas songs from the baby. I, I, I don't believe that. I think Jesus wailed. Because the Bible says that his was last words on one of his last words, on the, he cried out <laughs> with his last words. So I think he came in this world crying, and I think he left the world crying for you, crying out. I am. So he suffered. It was real. The stripes on his back were felt. The pain, the betrayal, everything was real because he was human. Not just a child is born, but a son is given. Now, why is that important? A son was given. Jesus, God didn't give a thought, and Jesus was born. He gave his son. He gave someone that is part of him, that, that was him as, part of, as we understand the Trinity, which means what? He preexisted. He always was. <laughs> he he preexisted. This isn't this is like, okay, you know, we got a little baby Jesus, and now he goes on and does great things. No, no, he was God before. 
He preexisted. We have to understand this. If you're going to understand Christmas, you have to understand that the baby Jesus came, but he was before, and he will be afterwards. It says the government is on his shoulders. That means he's in charge. <laughs> you got to get that. He's ruling this. This is not like, well, man, this world is out of control. What am I going to do? No, that's not, that's not Jesus. He said, I got it. I got your life. I got your pain. I got your struggle. I got your sin. I got it. I can do this. Yes, we trust him as we believe in him. Sometimes we try to do it, right? That's what we think salvation is. I got to get right. Got to get right. Got to be right. Got to be right. No, 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 no. You got to be in Christ. He is your salvation. He covers you. He is your righteousness. Our righteousness is in Christ. We cannot be righteous. You cannot be righteous in and of yourselves. You have to be righteous in Christ. Christ covers us. That's what sanctification means. And then one day we'll have glorification where it would be become permanent, where we actually change. And all of a sudden now we're permanently uh, glorified in this glorified state. But until then, it's Christ covering us. Because... You're not righteous. You can't be righteous. You're righteousness because Christ is righteous over you, in you, for you. Wonderful counselor. I love this. He's our comforter. He's our healer. He's here to heal. He, is our, he, he heals your body. He heals your mind. You're filled with fear and doubt and worry and stress. Man, aren't we a stressful people? The sad part is sometimes when we're a stressful church. Should not be, okay, and I, I, I can get stressed every now and then, okay? <laughs> I, I, get, I, can get, I can get short. I, I, I understand that. But this is not how we should live because he is, our, he is our comforter. He's come to heal our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our spirits, to touch us, to physically change us. He is our wonderful, wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. What does that mean? He is not a sub-God. He is not a little God. Big God Father, little God Jesus. No, 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 no. We don't understand the Trinity if we, if we get that. He is, he is not just a byproduct of the Father. He is God. The Bible says that he formed the world, Jesus, with his hands. He was there at the beginning. The Spirit moved across it. Jesus formed it. God spoke it. God, who did God speak? God spoke the Word. What was the Word? John teaches us the Word was made flesh. Jesus was always, Jesus is God. God came as a baby. God came born in a manger, a stinky old manger. God came. God walked among us, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Isaiah says. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us, God with us. Not little God, sub-God, little J, little, little Jesus. No, no, God in every way. God died. We can't even comprehend what that is. I think the angels look down with their mouths open and, and just and utter dismay and utter like, God is dying. How does God die? For you? <laughs> For me? This is the power of the nativity story. This is the power of Christmas. This is God came. Everlasting Father. Okay, no, wait a minute. Now I'm all confused. Set aside the Trinity because God is the Son, the Son is the Spirit, the Spirit is 
the Father. You see, you understand that. Set all that aside. I think the real emphasis here is He is everlasting Father. He is ever. He is ever. He was before. He was, and He will be. He always is. In 10 million, jillion years, whenever, billion, all that goes on, and, we, and there is no even accounting of time, God is. Jesus will be. Jesus on the throne. That's who we serve. That's what was born in that manger. God always is, always was, and always will be. That's amazing. Do we understand that? Doing, when we, we see the little plastic baby Jesus in the little manger, you know, with the fake hay and all that, we think, oh, and that sweet little baby Jesus. We understand this God who always was, who has changed my life, who changes every aspect of us. And then last, I'm so glad God ended it this way. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. He is our peace. And oh man, if there's ever a time we need to step and say, God, you are my Prince of Peace. Jesus, be my Prince of Peace. Set it all aside. Trust Him this morning. Believe in Him this morning. Let Him be your peace. He is the Prince of Peace that has come. Wow. I could keep talking on and on. That's verse 6. So verse 6 has, you need to understand what's going to happen. They, they couldn't even understand. This was a prophetic word thousands of years before Jesus was born to help us understand who Jesus was and is and will be and all of this thing. So that's the understanding. But verse 7 is about you. He, so he says, you've got to get this. You know, and it's important because sometimes we get screwed up. Sometimes I was, watching, I was looking at the, um, just a news article, some woman pastor, which is great, that's fine, but she decided she was going to go back to do this adult online filming. It had already 100,000 people. And the line that struck me was, God will understand. Okay, how, how crazy are we and mixed up are we in understanding the nativity story? If we just think, oh, God will understand that I live like this. God will understand if I have this sin. God will understand. And, 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 I, think, and I was thinking, oh, the issue isn't God understands. God, un- God knows. God understands our, our faults, our weaknesses. That's not the point. We don't understand God. We don't understand who he is. We don't understand what we're trying to do. But this is what the prophet is trying to help us understand in verse 6. And then goes to verse 7. It says, this is what I want you to understand. Look at verse 7. It says, of the increase, I just shortened it to just focus on what we're dealing with, of the increase of all of this, it will continue to increase. There is no end. There is no, it is without limits, literally. The zeal of the Lord will do this. God will do this. In other words, all these things will happen for you, and it will happen in increasing abundance. It will happen more and more and more. The Bible tells us that over and over about how we are being transformed in ever-increasing glory and more and more. That is our walk. That is what God wants us to understand. And the zeal of God will take care of this. God says, I want you to understand how this will not end. You need to understand this. We are talking about a Christmas that will not end. A Christmas that, under, that is so great and so vast that it's ever-increasing. It is our limitless Christmas. It is our limitless Christmas. Do we understand what does it mean to be in Christmas? We get the theology, oh, that's, there's so much there. How does that understand with me? God will continue to increase. 
And sometimes we feel so small in this world. I can't change this. I can't turn this around. I can't change even what I'm dealing with or I'm hurting with. I can't change this physical problem and all this. And we feel small and, 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 and squished in by this world around us. And God says, I have something so much bigger. If you grab a hold of it, you understand the Christmas and the, the limitless of who I am and what I can do in your life, it will never end. Now, we like limitless Christmas because we think that's uh, Christmas gifts without end, right? (laughs) People have that, and they're miserable. They have anything they want, anything they want. (laughs) They run outside, and there's a new car sitting, you know, like, who does that? I don't know. I mean, maybe that happens. I like that, but I'm just thinking, or, or they have what, but it never makes them happy. Or they have limitless money. Oh, that always makes people happy, right? Because everyone that has money without end will be happy? No. And it's not about even, watch this, limitless peace. Because we think, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, if we're a beauty pageant or like that, oh, I just want world peace or whatever. You know, you know, oh, you know what? If, if there was world peace everywhere, we would still be miserable. Because it's not about even limitless peace. This is about, limitless Christmas is about Limitless Christ in us, Emmanuel. Understanding it is always about Christ increasing in us, not just doing our own thing. But we see limits everywhere. We see limits in our relationships, in our marriage. We see married, uh, limitless in our careers. We see limits in our strength, even as it seems to fail us. Mm, come on. Somebody say amen there. Come on. We, we, we see these limits. But do we understand the limitless of what Christ is doing in us and has so much more to the limitless of what God is trying to do in our life? You see, in God, there are no limits. Do you believe that? Oh. See, he said like, oh yeah, God, it's almost like, God, I want to believe that. <laughs> it's almost like, Lord, I believe it helped my unbelief. Come on. Because we say, God, I, I want to believe that there is without, how do I live that way? How do I live without limits? Because living without limits can be a little bit scary. Come on. A, you know, just, just a, a, little bit, uh, a little bit unnerving. I, I was in with some friends and we're driving down from Denmark down to, to Berlin and and we get to ride on the Audubon. And I guess it's the same. And there, there was no speed limit. And so we're in this sort of old, a little, for my taste, a little bit too old of a BMW. But it was fast. And so we, when we hit about 125 miles an hour, not, not the other stuff, the European Jews. Real stuff, real, real. Like, come on, 120, 130. I'm just, I'm just like in the back seat going, okay, you know, because there's no limits. You can go as fast as you want. If you die, you die. That's the way it is. You see, a lot of the world lives that way. The rest of the world, is, you know, we, we have these safeguards, and we have these protections, and we have these safe spaces, and we have like it. The rest of the world is you want to do it, and you want to die, that's up to you. You can do that. It's like when I was in Uganda. We went to this beautiful waterfall. It was a, a tributary off the Nile River, and it was just it was so huge and so big, so we went to the top of it. We went to the bottom where all the crocodiles were, and that was fun, you know, and the hippos and things like that. But we went to the very top, and it surprised me because this is a real tourist spot. You know, people come and look, and it, and it was just a nice, smooth rock right down to the edge of the 
waterfall right where the waterfall goes all over the edge. And I'm looking at that, and of course it's wet because the spray is everywhere. It's wet around the edges, <laughs> but there's no rails. There's no little yellow sign that says, step here, don't step there. They don't care. And I asked, I asked one of the, my, our hosts, Ugandan hosts, and I said, uh, shouldn't you have something that says, says, why? Well, people can slip. Well, then they shouldn't get so close. <laughs> it's like a Christian brother. And I'm thinking, well, don't you? No, no. Hey, if you want to get close, if you want to get a selfie and get to the edge of, a, of it and fall off the stage and, you know, do that, you know, and you die, you die, you know, because, because there's no protection. But now, let me tell you something. You can trust God's limitless. You can trust the limitless life that God has for you. If you're willing to trust and go all in for him and everything that he's trying to, to do. You see, let me, I just, this morning I just have one simple thought. It's simple. It's just simply this. Our limitless Christmas that we're saying, God, I want to live that. God, I want to be that. Our limitless Christmas is living the limitless life of the good news. Now, you stay with me because this is all about Christmas. And we don't understand how the good news is really the gospel, which is about good news, about what God is trying to do. You see, we think the Christmas story is in Matthew and Luke, right? So if you open up your, the gospels and you open the New Testament, you get Matthew and it tells the story of Jesus being born. And, it, and then you go to Luke and it tells the angels and all that, you know, that Linus knows so well. And it just quotes and do, does all that. But you think Mark and John just skip Christmas, and it, it doesn't. Christmas is found in every single gospel. Because in John, he says, and the flesh, and the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. <laughs> just to let you know, because he just goes for the theology right off. And the word became flesh. You know what that means? Jesus was born. So it's right there. It's on the story. But it, you find it even in the gospel of mark and you think why because it just starts out with john the baptist but it says something in the very first line let, let me read that mark chapter one verse one says the beginning that's where jesus begins as uh, uh, all god all man on earth the beginning of the good news about jesus the messiah the beginning of about jesus let me tell you the story about jesus because it's all about the good news the story of Jesus, the nativity story, how to live a limitless Christmas is understanding the good news. Understanding what the good news is really all about. Now, what's fascinating is you'll find good news because it says good news everywhere. The angels came and says, I bring you good news, you know, and so it's good news. But it's just one word, one Greek word. Later on, they change it. They don't say good news anymore. Just the writers, I'm not arguing with the writers because God can write anything he wants. But the translators, you see, I have issues with them sometimes. <laughs> the translators stopped translating this word, good news, and started to translate it gospel, which is which what it means. Good news is, is gospel, right? But I think sometimes we lose the essence of the nativity story, of the Christmas, of the unlimitless uh, Christmas story by missing and changing it from, oh, I just got to share the gospel. I just No, 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 it's good news. You see, this word was always a military word. It started out as a military word. It started out, it was a runner that came from battle. <laughs> and he had just two words he would say. Or in Hebrew, it probably was one word, but whatever. He would just have 
just this word, and he's either yelling bad news or he's yelling good news. You ever talk to someone and you thought, why didn't you lead with that? <laughs> lead with that? Come on. He said, that's, that's what I needed to know. That's the answer. And sometimes as a leader, I get frustrated. I said, wait, 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 wait. Lead with what's important, and then you can give me all the backstory. Meanwhile, I'm processing it, the, what I needed to know. Okay, so uh, I want to know what's the bottom line. Give me the bottom line and let me go on that. I don't want to know all the story. You don't build it up, because if you're telling me all the story ahead of time, you're softening me up for some bad news. <laughs> Just start with the good news. And so the runner would be yelling as he's getting close, good news, good news, good news. And he would carry that good news, and then he'd get the details. They didn't care what the details were so much as good news is what? We win. We won. Are you carrying the good news? Because that's what the Christmas story is about. Is that in your spirit? Is that in your heart? Are you running with the good news of what Jesus has done in your life, what Jesus has done in your family, what Jesus has done in this world and what he can do for others? Are you carrying the good news? You see, in John, let's go back to Mark, it starts out with, here's the good news, here's the gospel. Here's, here's, here, here's what it is. And then it starts to, to tell about John. John brought good news. A little bit later on, it says, Jesus went out and began to preach the good news. And then in Acts, the beginning of Acts, it says, and the early church were sharing the good news. All about the good news, good news, good news. There's something there that we should grab a hold of. What is this good news about? Well, in John, it says the good news and then explains the good news of repentance and forgiveness. That's what good news is, by the way. That's, that's what it all boils down to, of repentance and forgiveness. And then it says Jesus went out preaching. Why did he go out and preach? He went out and he began to preach repentance. Jesus taught repentance. Jesus said, don't do that, that's wrong, live this way. Jesus taught repentance, and then he taught forgiveness. And the early church did the same thing. He ta they taught repentance. See, that's what the good news is. That's how we live a limitless Christmas, is understanding the good news as we're, we're carrying, and what we're carrying in our heart, in our spirit, what we're carrying is repentance and forgiveness. Now, it's really strange in Mark 1. Mark records, it starts talking about John the Baptist, about what he wears. I don't care. You can wear what you want. And then he talked about, even more importantly, about what he ate. Why is that important? <laughs> because every word is important. But what was Mark trying to say? He says that John came eating, preaching repentance and forgiveness. John didn't just teach repentance and Jesus teach forgiveness. No, no, no. Both of them. The good news is both. Got that? It says that John came eating locusts. Mmm, are you hungry yet? Mm, 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 mm. Locusts and wild honey. See, it's sort of, the translation gets sort of lost on it. The locusts represented, they wouldn't like throw a grasshopper in their mouth and crunch down on it, you know. That's, don't do that. It's not like it's a Dorito, you know, or pop it in and crunch, crunch. No, no, no. What they would do is they would take um, 
different insects like the locusts and they would grind them up and use them for protein and seasoning and nuts and berries and it was considered oh you got to get this a clean food some of the cleanest food from a Hebrew understanding culture that they could eat was grind up locusts and insects and with berries and nuts it was a it was a cleansing almost as we understand metaphorically a forgiveness almost understanding a repentance this was a repentance this was this was i'm going to live this way god i'm going to live for you it's very symbolic i believe well okay so if all of that cleanness and all of that clean food represented a uh, repentance what did the wild honey represent <laughs> well that's easy the forgiveness of god he came with locusts and honey are you carrying locusts and honey are you carrying repentance and forgiveness see the bible says in john chapter 1 verse 9 if we confess you know what that means, right? If we repent of our sin, he's so faithful. He is so faithful. And just to forgive us, forgiveness of our sins, and to then purify us, us of all unrighteousness because we take on the righteousness of Christ. We live in locusts and wild honey. We live in repentance. You see, you think, Greg, what does all this mean to the Christmas story? This is the beginning of the good news. This is what John taught. This is what Jesus taught. This is what the early church taught. This is what we must live. We must live in this continual, limitless cycle of repentance and forgiveness. See, the Bible says confess our sins one to another. It says continually confess it. You know, uh, in other words, continually have a state of repentance. doesn't mean that we're walking around saying, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry all the time. But what it does mean is that we have this presence that we welcome God, that we're having a conversation with God, saying, God, help me. I repent of this attitude. I repent of this thought. I repent of this, this thing I yelled at my wife. I prevented this. I, I, help me. Help me, help me, help me, help me. This is, this is good news. Imagine, oh, imagine you're running and you're yelling good news. That means you have good news. If you're carrying the gospel this morning, that means you're carrying the good news. That means you are carrying repentance and forgiveness and forgiveness. Continually saying, God, thank you for forgiving me so that I can forgive others. We have to live some honey. Come on. If all you have is repentance and you are not giving forgiveness, you're not receiving the forgiveness of God, sometimes we condemn ourselves so much that we don't even receive the forgiveness that God has. And the reason why we don't do that, you know why we don't forgive ourselves, is because we're not forgiving others. We're not willing to forgive others. And if you're not willing to forgive someone else, then 
for some reason, it's hard for us to even forgive ourselves, to receive the very forgiveness that God has in our life. But let me reverse that. It's the most amazing thing. If we're easily forgiving and forgiving and forgiving, and it doesn't matter. If, if someone comes to me and does the same things for seven times, God, what do you want me to do? Seven times, if they come back and they say, I'm sorry for the same thing in the same day, say, I forgive you. <laughs> the Bible teaches that. Oh, what does that do? That opens us up to forgiveness because forgiveness flows in us and out of us. And if it's not flowing out of you, you need to think, okay, God, why isn't it flowing in me? And there's something even about repentance. We do the same thing. That when we repent, it creates an atmosphere of repentance, of humility, of humbleness, so that others will do the same thing. This is our good news. This is what you're running with. Come on. Grab some locusts. You'll never see locusts the same way again. Come on. Grab some locusts, grab some wild honey, something sweet, something savory, and put it in there. It's called a sweet and sour Christmas. And you go, not just the food I love, but anyway, got sidetracked. Just a sweet and sour Christmas is living, living the good news in your family this day. Forgiving someone when your team loses to them. <laughs> Forgiving. Forgiving. There's no speaking. There's no speaking. I got it. I got it. I'm going to preach. preach. See, now you just lost it. But I forgive you. <laughs> we have to live it. It's everyday life. Come on. This is what I mean. Every day. Forgiveness. 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 Repentance. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's good news. Greg, how do I share the gospel? Oh, it's easy. Repent. Well, no, no, no. I want to share the gospel. I want to tell others to repent. No, no, no. You can't tell them to repent until you live the good news, until you become the runner that says, good news. I've been, re I've been for forgiven. Good news. I've repented. You can forgive, be forgiven of your sins as well. That's good news. That's a Christmas story. So let's take the theology and let's put it with the practice and let's change the world around us. Amen? Amen? Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for all that you're doing in our lives. And God, I believe right now, right now, right now that you would move across us. God, we repent of our sin, of our stubbornness, of our selfishness, of our own desires, of our own things that we want to do. God, we repent. We repent. Forgive us. Cleanse us. If there's anyone watching that does not have a heart towards you and is doing their own thing, God, just receive them right now with a heart that says, I, sorry, God, I repent. I repent. And Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit, just pour the sweetness of your forgiveness in us, the sweetness of, of, of your grace in us, of your mercy in us, that we may in turn know how to forgive a lost and a dying world around us with kindness, with love, with gentleness, teaching them repentance and forgiveness. God, I thank you for that. And I thank you for this Christmas that is without limit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.